Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Years ago, there was a cartoon character who was in the uh, newspapers whose name was Pogo. And he was a little creature who lived in the swamps. He was a possum. One of the more important Pogo cartoons had Pogo saying the following. We have met the enemy, and it is us. And that is a very important concept to understand. Pogo hit upon one of the major truths that most people are absolutely not aware of. The enemy that it is uh, that is us is a section of ourselves called the mind. The mind is our recording machine and our thinking process that delves with the surface of existence. And we have concluded that this thinking process is who we are. Uh, A French philosopher once said, I think, therefore I am. And he sort of missed the mark. He should have said something like, I think, and if that's all I do, I'm limited. (laughs) Or, I think... And if that's all I'm involved in, uh, I'm within the animal qualities. Um, He should have begun to understand that there is a place beyond thinking. There is a place beyond our ability to deal with the surface world. The surface world is the illusory world that we spend our sensory life in. And our sensory life consists of our ability to see and our ability to hear and our ability to smell and our ability to taste and our ability to feel. Somehow, we have to go beyond our sensory perceptions. And we have to become cognizant of the fact that we have to go beyond our sensory perceptions. You'll often hear uh, scientists say something like, I made this discovery because I was able to stand on on the shoulders of giants. And what they mean is, they learn from what was done before, and they've added a little bit to it, and they've changed things dramatically. So, break that down, and what's it mean? It means, I saw and I copied, and I made an improvement on what I copied. And this is the nature of the monkey mind. It acts like... Uh, a monkey in that 
it improves on what it sees or imitates what it sees. If a, if a monkey runs off with your keys and runs up a tree, the way to get your keys back from the monkey is to throw things at it. Because after a while, it'll throw your keys at you because it'll imitate what it sees. So we have this part of us that is conformative and imitative. Conformative means it conforms to what it sees by reiterating, repeating, doing what it sees. And we are trained from the time that we're children that it's appropriate to learn from our parents, learn from our surroundings, and conform to that which we see. When the prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, came to new people, their first, often their first remark to him was, we have enough from what our parents gave us and from what we have been given as children. We don't need anything new. We don't need innovation. Now, herein lies the difficulty that we have. When we spend a lifetime imitating what we see, it becomes incredibly important what we're looking at. It becomes incredibly important what we're interfaced with because that's what we imitate. Now, to go from the phase of imitation to inspiration is a leap in personal advancement. And how does that occur? How do we go from the phase of imitation to inspiration. First, we need to talk about consciousness just a little bit. We sense, we are aware, and then we solve problems. Intellect. Sense, awareness, intellect. We solve problems. We solve problems through imitation because almost all of the problems that we run into, people before us have run into. And all of the problems that we run into are mostly problems of self care. Problems uh, that are similar to what animals have. The need for food, the need for housing, the need for finding a mate, the need for procreation, the need for status, the need for power, the need uh, to uh, be communal. All of these things are things that animals do. And all of these things are things that we do on the surface level of things, and sometimes even deeper. Somewhere in our progression as a being, we begin to ask our question, uh, we begin to question ourselves and ask, is eating and taking care of ourselves and fulfilling our desires the extent of life? And the answer comes, well, it doesn't seem to be enough to bring us inner peace. It seems to be a treadmill. What is inner peace? Where does inner peace come from? How did we get here? Why were we created? And when these questions begin to come, 
we have stepped into an area that we can't answer by imitating what we see. Because there are no answers as to those questions by just imitating what we see. Unless we happen to run into somebody who knows the answers to those questions and we imitate him. And what separates him from the rest of humanity or her is that that person is a manifestation of godlike qualities on earth. The intellect deals with the temporal. The manifestation of godlike qualities deals with something completely outside of the realm of the illusory world, of the temporary world that disappears. So when we begin to look at that, and we begin to imitate that, something happens to us internally. We switch from an intellectual observance to an observance that comes from somewhere else and goes on somewhere else. In other words, it goes on without thought. It goes on without having to figure it out. It goes on automatically. And if we're put in the space where we look at something that seems to be outside of the nature of what we've seen and outside of the nature of our ability to explain, we realize that we have to develop other senses in order to be in touch with this and in order to explain this. And it's the first notion that we're given that we're not limited by our sense of smell, our sense of hearing, our sense of touch, our sense of taste, etc. That there's something beyond this, and we're capable of interacting with what, God bless you, with what is beyond this. And as we spend more time with it, we become more confident that we can be part of it, and that we can act from that place also. And simultaneously, we become less reliant on our intellect as the solution to things. Now, the intellect is very strong in some and not so strong in others. People who do very well in school usually have a strong intellect. Uh, it's measured as a high IQ. They can figure things out quicker than others. It also has to do with, very often, with a very strong memory and a very strong ability to recall facts that you've seen for a short period of time. This is a really big part of doing well in the intellectual world. You can repeat facts. You can, uh, you can repeat what you've read. You can repeat what the teachers told you. Uh, and what they're usually telling you about is, again, this surface world and how it interacts and how it works. And if you pick it up, you can repeat it. 
But when you enter into this sphere that is a man manifest with God's, Allah's qualities, and you begin to watch that, that's not explainable. How do you explain compassion through the intellect? How do you explain love through the intellect? How do you explain selflessness in a world where the self and the need and the fulfillment of desire is all important? How do you do that? How do you go from the animal world and the animal way of doing things, the monkey mind way of doing things, the animal mind way of doing things, to a transcendent way of being where giving supersedes taking, where giving supersedes needing, where giving supersedes desire, where giving supersedes the self, where all of a sudden that you realize that this self that we've been promoting within ourselves all this time is something we should not be promoting but running away from and disappearing from and allowing to dissipate so that as we act we act without mind motive we act without mind desire we act without mind imitation of all of that we see but we've taken on a new tact we've taken on a new way we've taken on a new attitude we've taken on a new intention and it's in this new intention that we have altered the circumstances of our existence we've gone from an intention of filling our desires and filling our needs and filling the things that we want and becoming more and more and more within that realm of desire to an intention of giving to those who are in need. We've transcended the world of need and gone into the world of giving. And what's interesting is that once you go and enter into the world of giving, you realize that there is a cornucopia that supplies you with the things to give that is unending. And as you become a giver, you're always given more to give. Because the things that you give that are truly the most worthy are not dependent on the physically manifest world. Compassion has no weight. Mercy can't be quantified. Love can't be measured. Yet the effects of these things are extraordinary. The pat on the head of a baby by its mother changes the baby's entire composure 
and being. Well, a word, a kind word to a stranger can change that person's day. And you can give it. So, we have to, one, drift away from this world of need and desire. Because the mind is constantly involved in that message towards us. Get, take, accumulate. Uh, to the point where some people, uh, according to uh, worldly definitions, become mentally ill from it. Uh, they become hoarders. Everything that they see, they want, and everything that comes into their possession, they keep. They can't let go of things. I've walked uh, through homes that were filled with newspapers uh, that were collected over 20-30 years where there was maybe a two-foot wide alley to walk through in the house because everything that came into the house was stacked. The mail was stacked, the newspapers were stacked, the grocery bags were stacked. Everything became precious. So we have this button inside of us that says precious and we have to look at what it is that we consider precious. Now, to most of us, it's self-evident that newspapers aren't precious. To most of us, it's self-evident that grocery bags aren't precious. But what is it that is precious? Is a car precious? Is a house precious? Is jewelry precious? Is a watch precious? Is gold precious? Is silver precious? Or have we been able to see through that? Imagine the burden of carrying with you all of the things that you consider precious. Put your car on your back. Put your house on your back. Put all of these things on your back and carry them around. My friends don't treat me like they used to since I put my burden down. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's all put our burdens down because it's when we put these burdens down, that we are able to finally understand what's really precious. And if we don't put them down, we're so overwhelmed by the weight that, and, and we're so busy carrying them that we don't even have the time to consider what to do without them. They've become part of us. They're attached to us. They have entered into our molecular stream. They're part of our blood. And when we begin to understand that what's causing us all of the problems in the world is the weight of what we consider precious,
then we begin to think, my God, I've been looking at this wrong. I've been looking at this through the filter of my mind. And my mind sees things in a really peculiar way. Maybe there's something else that needs to be considered. And then you begin to understand that love is precious. And when you have love in your life, your life all of a sudden changes dramatically. And the more often you say, I love you and mean it, your life changes dramatically. And all of a sudden, you can straighten up. All that you've been carrying falls away from you. Love has no weight. Mercy has no weight. Compassion has no weight. It lifts you up. It doesn't burden you down. So, we need to let go of what the mind considers important. It's very difficult to come face to face with the understanding that we have an enemy within us. It's just very difficult to come to that realization. And that enemy is going to be constantly telling us to take the world and carry it around with us. Put it on our back because we need it. And without it, we're in some kind of terrible trouble. And the world is constantly reinforcing that understanding. The advertising industry has really understood that portion of the mind. That if you see it enough times, you're going to do it. Why do you think industries that are number one in their market share continue to advertise like crazy? To maintain that number one in the market share. Because if you don't see it all the time, you're going to drift to something else that you see. So Coke wants to make sure that you see Coke all the time. Because you may switch to iced tea eventually, unless they remind you that, my God, Coke makes you beautiful. Coke makes you the best. Coke is wonderful. We need to learn to stop accepting those influences. And the only way we can do it is to intend on a constant basis to switch our allegiance from the world to Allah. To switch from the gifts that are imagined in the world to the gifts that are for real in reality. And if we can do that, we can leave the illusory world and the illusory burdens that we carry and take on the gifts that have been meant for us, the gifts that are our birthright, the gifts that will transcend our own being and 
help transcend all those around us. If the people around you are a drag, you need to become better. And they will then become better. Don't allow the status quo to exist and don't blame the ones around you for it. You are at the core of all that exists around you. You are at the center of that which is appropriate. You can be the axis for the world to turn around if you allow yourself to go to that space. And to do it, you have to first intend that that's going to happen. Then you have to believe that it's going to happen. And then you have to become what it takes for that to happen. And what it takes for that to happen is to lay down the burdens of the world and pick up the glory of God. Pick up the glory of the prophets. Walk with the saints. Don't walk with the turkeys. And as we begin to understand that, we can then learn that the, we, who were turkeys, can become saints. And the turkeys we walk with can become saints. All it takes is the appropriate medication. And the appropriate medication is Allah. And we have to become spreaders of that medication. And the only way we can do it is to be it. There's no other way. And once we are it, then people can look at us and see what they're missing. And then they want somehow to obtain that. Why did people flock around Muhammad Rahim Baal Muhayyadeen? Because they saw what they were missing. They saw that there was something very, very special there. And they wanted some of it. And he was ready to give you as much as you could take and as much as you could handle. Become that. That was his instruction. Become like me. He changed a lot of people. We can change the ones around us. And as that happens, the world changes one heart at a time. Let's be one of those hearts that changes and that changes others. Let's be one of those hearts that opens up to the glory that is our Lord. And let's imbibe Him and become at one with Him. Amin, amin. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.